The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. It is so good to be in God's house and to be with the believers and to know that we can come into this place uh, and we're not <clears throat> seized or detained because we're worshiping our God. And we have to think about our brothers and sisters in China and around the world that definitely uh, have to suffer the persecution of defending the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming his name. And we don't want to take that lightly. Amen. Uh, let me read our passage before we begin to dive in it. Matthew 6, chapter 5, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable, value than, not of more, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They never toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which day, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all things, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. This passage and this particular, um, uh, yes, this particular command has definitely worked on me in a very, very surgical way throughout this week. And the reason being is because I think that there are several things I would pride myself on and one is being composed. I feel as if I'm one of the most composed individuals. There could be a fire going on, and I feel like this is me. I feel this way, okay? I feel like a fire may be going on, and I just find my exit, okay? Uh, I don't feel like I, I worry too much or stress out too much. But when I had my son, me and my wife, I didn't have him. My wife did, okay? I clarify that. I, she was waking me up on the second, every second. 
to like do stuff uh, throughout the night, but I'll never forget that day. But as she was going through labor, it changed the way I looked at wearing. Because the fact of the matter is like, I knew that I was okay when the baby was in the hospital. The issue was when we had to leave the hospital. Because we had to have a specific car seat, a particular weight side, a weight on the car seat. We had to have particular things and we had to make sure he didn't have jaundice. I mean, I felt as if if he left out into the world, he would suck in all of the germs and just immediately die when we, when we exited the building. I worried. And that worry carried on to my overparenting. My overparenting was when he began to crawl up steps, I would always get overly concerned that he would just fall down every flight of steps that he ever crawled up. And then that one day when he fell, I was like, that's it. I see he never should crawl up steps again. Even he never will he go up a finger steps. That's it, right? Because I thought something would happen to him. I was worried and fearful even when we first sent him to the child care and we had as she would say a prized animal who is trained very well because of our parenting. Here's the issue. It's not just over parenting. It's the fact that the more we have, it causes us to worry more. Look at everything you put on your child's plate. Look at all the activities they're involved in. Matter of fact, look at all the activities you're involved in, single person. Look at everything that you spend your time doing and then take a moment to reflect and see if you're doing it because you're worried. You're overly anxious. You're driven by it because you want to prevent. Even the, the thing of what we talked about last week where we, we want to take the easy yoke and we want to take Jesus' burden because it's light, absolutely. But you know, we can make that yoke an idol simply by saying, if I don't get my rest, if I don't get my rest, then I can't think about anybody else. Protecting, preventing, trying to do for self what the Bible tells us over and over and over again, it's not about you. But, here's what I want you to take this morning. The command not to worry, it's not just a command not to worry for not worrying's sake. It's not that. It's because God wants us to live Christ-centered lives that are thriving and not surviving. I know many of y'all feel like you're just surviving this morning. That you just made it into this place. Thank God I made it into this place. But what if you were thriving? When you walked into this place, you just had the joy of the Lord being your strength, 
being the very thing that motivates you. You have the love of the Lord in your heart being the very thing causing you to see your neighbor more higher than yourself. Weary distorts our view of ourselves and one another. And let me show you why. Jesus says, do not weary because he wants us to remember that we're more valuable. It's the first point. The second point is, Jesus says, do not weary because I want you to take a posture of dependence. And then he also says, do not weary because I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, when we look at verse 25 through 27, we have to say to ourselves, why is Jesus starting off with this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Does, is he ignoring the fact that there are so many different things in life that cause us to weary? Is, does he even know what, what we need? How can a God tell us not to worry and he knows we live in a broken world tainted by sin and brokenness? We can't look at the news without seeing something that would cause us to worry. Some of us can't look at our bank accounts without causing ourselves to be worried. Some of us are like me, a parent who every time that son crawls up the steps, you can't, you're, you're wearying. But I don't think he causes, I don't think he wants us to think that he doesn't care about us. Because if we consider the entire passage from verses 19 to 34, we see a flow within this entire, entire passage. And Jesus, in this passage, is dealing with money and greed when you look at verses 19 through 24. But then he's also, when you get to 24 through 34, our particular passage, is dealing with this ancient anxiousness that will t overtake you because a dual devotion to both God and money. What is it? You have to ask yourself, what is your dual devotion? Is it her, him, the job, and God? I know we've all read the book, Jesus plus everything. And then we know that phrase from Francis Schaeffer, glorious ruins, that there's a beauty to simplify the phrase in our brokenness. So it's not that we are to be wearied free. That's not the answer. And Jesus doesn't give us this answer because look how he commands them. He says, he says to them, do not be anxious. But he doesn't just say it there. He says it in verse 31. Do not be anxious. And then he says it again in 34. Do not be anxious. Many of us know who are teachers, you try to repeat as a literary device in order to cause one's attention to something very important. Some of us as parents, we talk slow to our child when we've told them for the upteenth time not to do something. I said, don't touch shit. <laughs> right? The, did you understand 
me. Excuse me. That's me being silly. Nevertheless, we, Jesus wants to get our attention because he is dealing with the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is we are prone to be anxious and because of our greed and our desire and what we are devoted to and not trusting in God to meet our needs. Technically, we can make an argument that God, Jesus, is talking because he's still in the Sermon of the Mount to poor people. And he's telling these poor people, I will give you your basic basic needs. I will provide for you food, drink, and clothing. I believe this is relevant for us because we are concerned. We may not be concerned about what we're going to have on our plate today. We may be able to purchase the 35 cent ramen noodles from Kroger. We may be able to get away and have uh, Lunchables for the week, whatever the case may be. And we can go to the Goodwill today and probably pick up a cup, uh, pick up a couple of pair of clothing. However, what Jesus is saying, and I want this to make it plain to us, is that what we may be worried about, if it's not food, clothing, or drink, we may be worried about our sickness. We may be worried about where we send our child to school public school versus private school and we may be concerned being strategic and desiring to be multi-ethnic in every fabric of our life am I sending my son or daughter to a school that is predominantly uh, white or black or Asian or Hispanic do I have a cultural influence in that I'm concerned about what they will get out of that I'm concerned because I don't know if I'm being effective in the education system I'm just one teacher and I go to work every single day and I, and I don't know how effective I'm being with these children because I deal with the same problems each and every day and I'm worried because I don't know if we're going to get the test scores. I don't know if they're going to get the grades. I don't know if things are going to come through. I don't know if they're going to close down my school this time. What are they going to do because Dorsey Hopkins is transitioning or whatever. I don't know because I'm worried. Also, you may be worried this morning because you just woke up out of your bed out of a drunken stupor because you came to this place wanting to find God after the one night stand. You may have gotten her pregnant or you may think he has gotten you pregnant and you don't know how to answer the question. You're worried this morning. And the reason you're worried is because you don't know the God who is able to take all of what you have. No matter where you are on the end of the spectrum. No matter if you have all that you need, no matter if your kids are wearing name brand clothes or not name brand clothes. And I know some kids who go to school and they, they want to wear the latest and the greatest. They got to have things on because as Memphians would say, that they would get checked if they go to school. And so they don't feel valued. But here is what Jesus says. Isn't your life more valuable than the birds? It is this notion in which he is going from lesser to greater. He does it with the birds and he does it with the clothes. He does it with, he's showing them that I provide for the birds and I'm also providing clothing for the entire earth. I take care of all of my creation. I made you. So aren't you valuable? Doesn't Jesus say that you're valuable because he created you in his image, in his likeness, so that you may be an ambassador for him? That's why you don't need to worry. 
That's exactly the reason why even in a broken world, you can think to yourself, well, I, God is going to take care of me. Just like this analogy he uses when we look at verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Pete Nelson can relate to this and any farmer in here is that you know as a farmer each and every day you're planning uh, to, to, to make sure that whatever crops you're growing, they grow effectively according to the season. And particularly these farmers here that Jesus is talking to, they want to make sure that they plan and put things in place, proper provision so they can have the grains grow for the bread that they need. And Jesus is saying to them, you know what? They don't have, the birds don't worry about the agricultural cycle. Nor should you necessarily. I will always provide. And it's easy for us to make the biblical connection. Not only does Jesus say that he will provide, but we know he is the bread of. Y'all supposed to say that. Amen. I just want to make sure y'all read your Bibles. Because he's the same God that provided manna out of the sky. He's the same God that will make sure not only will birds be, uh, be fed, but, they, but his, his valuable possessions, his treasured possessions, you, royal priesthood, you, holy nation, will be taken care of. But there's wisdom that we can learn from creation. The wisdom that we can learn from creation is that it does what it does every day. And that God has put something in place for creation to thrive. We can look at the birds. We can just stand and look at how the sun comes, goes up and the sun goes down. We can look at how even when we're standing at the beach, when the tide comes in and the tide goes out. No shark, no dolphin, no whale. They're not confused as to what they will eat. We can learn the wisdom from creation because what it says to us, it is a God who will always provide. But then we can also know that the rhetorical question of are you not more valuable than they is one to remind us that you are not supposed to have a low view of yourself. Worry makes you have a low view of who you are before God. Struggling with that feeling like you're enough. Never feeling as if you, your needs are being met or that you can meet the needs of your spouse. Matter of fact, some of y'all have commitment issues and so you live together because you are fearful and worrisome of the fact of if he or she will live, leave me. I don't want to make that commitment because I'm worried about what will happen because I've seen my parents get divorced. And I know some of us, we smoke because we're trying to go to sleep, because we're worried. We drink because we want to go to sleep, because we're restless. We binge watch because we want to escape what bothers us. But when you have a high view of who God made you to be, it changes the way 
you view yourself. It changes the way you view your spouse. It takes you from overparenting to being a parent of grace. It takes you from being a boss who is trying to make sure numbers are always met and seeing that you have a staff that needs to be cared for. It takes you from just being an employee that clocks in and clocks out to actually being concerned about those that are around you. But not only is the issue regarding a low view of self, it's a messiah complex. That mechanism in which we are exposed because God, we do not trust and we believe God may fail us as a provider because he didn't answer when we thought he should answer. And so the wary begins to compound. And so husbands, you can't leave your family because you're so wary. And so what you try to do, you try to control. You try to enforce. Many of us can't spend our money right because we mismanage it. Because we get ourselves in debt for things that we don't need. And what does that do then? Causes you to worry. How will I pay my bills? There are practical aspects in which Jesus is trying to get us to see that this actually affects the span of your life. Some people worry worry themselves to death because they don't have a high view of themselves. They're trying to control every part of their life. This is why he says in verse 27, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? (laughs) Jesus is preaching. And it's right there that you, can, you can't improve your life with worry. You cannot do it. I'm going to repeat this. You can't improve your life with worry. You will worry yourself sick. I know. You're afraid to go to the doctor. Because you do not want to hear what they have to say. I sure don't want to hear what the dentist has to say. I hadn't seen him in a while. But see, it was good to see a community of people come alongside last week, Lisa, when she was concerned about what the doctor would say. And we laid hands on her as a community to represent that we, prov- we believe that she is valued and that God would provide. There was nothing she could do about the diagnosis, but all we can do is trust in God. And amen that she has a diagnosis that says she is cancer free, amen somebody. For my people who are, and I'm taking my time this morning because I really want y'all to hear me, For my people who are just, I have to get everything to the T, this really gets to you. This really gets under your skin. The reason being is because you plan and you put things in place all day long. And I'm not talking just like, 
You just put things, things in place and let them run. You make sure that they run. You're detailed. If there's one minuscule deal that's taken out of portion, proportion or whatever the case may be, it affects you greatly. And what happens is you feel like your quality of life or whatever the project that you're working on, it diminishes. But can I tell you something? <laughs> you worrying won't improve anything. See, worry, a worry, worrisome life, and, and mind you, this is not an anxiety issue or anxious issue that only talks about one aspect. This is multiple cases in which one can worry. But I like to put it like this, a steak versus a McDonald's cheeseburger. See, a prayerful life, trusting in God and allowing him to provide is a steak. There's substance to it. When you eat your steak, you know that you've eaten one. You feel it on you. And you're full. And so that, I like to see that as a prayerful life. A life that is not duly devoted, but one that is singly devoted to God. Making sure that he is the first priority and that he gives you all of the substance you need to live your life. But then, worries like a McDonald's cheeseburger. If you ate a McDonald's cheeseburger, just a single patty, within three seconds of consuming that burger, you're hungry again. Guarantee. And so what happens? I gotta supersize it. I gotta add triple patties. If you get the fish fillet, you gotta add a double fish fillet. Mind you, I, I've seen somebody do it and I've tried it and it's crazy. <laughs> but see, the thing about it is, there's no substance to it. You hunger and you crave for more. Weary is like that. One time you weary, you think it's over, and then you worry again. And next thing you know, as it's compounded, you feel the pressure and the weight of it that you can't even see how God will provide. Worry blinds you to the provider. That's why God says, do not worry. Because you are valuable. You don't have to feed yourself things that are going to tear your body, your mind. That's why he talks about your life and your soul. It won't tear you apart mentally. It won't tear you apart physically. Some of us worry so much we can see it in our physical makeup. We gain weight. Some of us worry so much we see it in our own interactions with people and one another, the way that we may snap on our children, the way we may snap on our coworkers, whatever. But, he, but God's reminding you of who you are. But not only that, not as he's saying, I, I, I'm going to give you substance. You don't have to be hopeless because I don't want you to worry. I want you to take a posture of dependency. When we do not worry, this is our second point, we do not worry, it's because we're standing in the promises of God. When we do not worry, it's because we're standing on the promises of God. It, it's very clear here that he is making the connection that he's clothed lilies in all the earth 
and it is far more glorious than Solomon. Whom in 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 3, he tells him that as long as you are alive, no other king will be able to compare to your glory. And so we see and we understand that he is highly esteemed. But Jesus is saying even though he was highly esteemed, I will always take care of you. But this is what I need you to do. I need you to depend on me. You're saying, Mike, where is that in the text? Well, think about when he says, oh ye of little faith. Why does he associate a level of worrying with faith? You have to ask yourself the question. Well, this, I believe, connected to what you have heard us say over the last past months is that intimacy with God leads to intimacy with self, of knowing self, and one another. Highly connected in the sense in which when you know the Father, you understand that your faith is attached to someone who will always provide, and not only someone who will always provide, not just your needs, but he is actually the creator. He's created everything that you're worried about. That's fascinating. Because when he talks to them of, oh ye, a little faith, he's connecting it directly to the next verse. And when he's talking about, therefore do not be anxious in 31, saying what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. They seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows this. And he knows everything that you need every single thing that you need. This directly connects to the fact that what Jesus is saying is you pray the Lord's prayer because you believe he's the provider. You ask for your daily bread because you believe he's the one that will provide it. And then you are not like a Gentile who's a pagan and this is an insult to those who are believers that are Jewish. You're not like them who are little faith heaping up empty prayers is what he says in verse 7. You're not heaping up prayers that you're throwing up and hoping that God will alley-oop them. But what you know, that you know that you know, is that God will be able to answer the prayers according to his will. So the posture of dependency is not one that you, a false dependency, that you say, well, God, I'm going to trust you with these things, but I'm not going to trust you with these things. We all do it. Every single last one of us. And see, it's almost like what we try to do is prove to God that we can do something. But we don't realize what it causes us to, it causes us how it gives us a view of God. The disciples themselves were supposed to be better than the Gentiles. Believers, we're supposed to be better than pagans. Those that do not believe in Jesus, not better in the sense that we just were better human beings, but better in the sense that we understand where our life comes from. That we have a right understanding of where our help and what we're provided with, where it comes from. That's extremely, extremely important for us. Because what, I'm going to demonstrate this. Have you ever been a part of a community where you ask someone to help you, but then you don't, ask, you don't ask them to help you? You know what I mean? Oh, you know what? Rely on me. Oh, I need so much help, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But then when you try to help, 
or they don't ask for your help, what happens? They're overworried. And then when they come to you, or when you find out about it, you're like, why didn't you ask me to help? <laughs> I told you that I would be there for you. I told you that I would, I would help you. But see, I believe what happens is, is that we struggle with this idea in which I need to do something myself. I don't need to call you about what's going on in my life because I got it. I got it. I don't need you to help me understand how to parent my child because I got it. I don't need your insight on how to budget my money. I got it. But see, that posture of dependency says, I don't have it. And so I can put something on the realm. I can send out a group text. I need some help, somebody. Can y'all pray for me? I, 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 can y'all please? I need, I need some saints to come and just lay hands on me. I sincerely believe as we go into 2019 as a community, that the more that we ask one another to help each other, that we will see a, a revival and a direct change in the community of our body and the connectivity amongst one another. Why? Because we won't be living in an isolated area in which we're worried about our own, trying to control our own. But what happens is your problems become my problems. Your worry becomes my worry. And anything that is bothering you, I want to make sure that I can come alongside you. I think this picture helps us to understand what it means to be dependent upon Christ and dependent upon one another so that we can be a community that glorifies him. Not a community of sex, but an ecclesia, a community, a church, an assembly together. Do we understand church? And this is why we have to look at it from the aspect of what am I doing for my brothers and sisters to serve them and to look to their needs and to make sure that I am, I am, I'm a part of their lives? What am I doing to do that? I think one of the things that we can see as a body of believers and we should see as a body of believers, one of the most important aspects of where we can help one another, I believe this in my whole heart, is the way that we teach our children. The way we serve in the nursery, the way we serve in flip side, the way we serve with youth. Because if we know that worry will always come, it is perpetual and it was going to affect the next generation, we should be doing what? Teaching them. The effects of discipleship come as a clear depiction in which we are trying to teach generations to come how to depend on Jesus. I hope I'm making sense this morning. Because this idea of dependency helps us to know that we can't do it ourselves. But then also, what Jesus says is, not only be dependent, not only know that you're more valuable, but also seek the, first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's another aspect. That's the last thing that I want us to look at. Do not worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, it's pretty clear what you ought to do. 
Seek second? No. Seek third? No. Seek fourth? No. Seek first. So what's that mean? I'm going to make this very practical. Bill comes in. <laughs> Woo! Okay, who, what do I need to do? Seek first the kingdom of God. Email from the boss. Sunday morning, a problem. What is he going to say? What is she going to say? What meeting do I have to go through? Let me seek first the kingdom of God and add his righteousness. But what does that mean practically? Let me spell this out what it means practically. First of all, what it means for us to seek first the kingdom of God is to make sure that we are pretty much doing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trusting in the Lord in every way. In absolutely every way. And leaning not into our own understanding. Because the first thing when we, when we, are, when we begin, when we open that letter or when we see whatever, what happens is we try to take it on ourselves and we're so consumed with worry, we try to figure it out. But what God says is, I know it's there, but just seek me out. And if you ask me something, I'm, I'm prone to listen. In fact, I'm always listening when you don't think I'm listening. That should give us so much comfort. It should give us so much comfort that when worry tries to plague us, we can rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Some of us have to learn how to practice rebuking worry. I know some of y'all like, what's that? What, what, what you talking about rebuking? This, this sounds extra super spiritual and I don't even know about that. I, I got to be practical. This has to be, this has to be a formula, etc. But when you rebuke something, it's not that it would just disappear. <laughs> but you're calling on God to fight whatever is kind, trying to make you worrisome, trying to overwhelm you trying to steal, kill, and destroy. We don't talk about the devil enough in our churches to know that the spiritual warfare is not won by strategy systems and doing things with a plan. The spiritual warfare is not flesh and blood. It's principalities seen and unseen. I mean unseen heavenly. And so what do we need to be girded up with? The belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Why a breastplate of righteousness? Because when you look at the verse going all the way up to verse 21, he says, for where your, heart, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, so not only will the way that I spend my money, but the things I lay my heart on the most, I won't be seeking the kingdom, I'll be seeking that. And so I put myself in a position to be exposed by every scheme of the devil. And I want to talk particularly to young people. Some of y'all come to church every single Sunday. You listen, you don't listen, you dismiss. I don't know what this preacher talking about. 
But let me guarantee you something. Life will not stop. It will continue to happen the more you delay growing and maturing in your relationship with God. The more pain and suffering will feel so severe that it will drive you crazy. And so here it is. Seeking first this kingdom of God is making sure that we protect our heart and his righteousness, making sure we protect our heart, making sure we're not following after our heart, but that we're following Jesus. And so you've heard the claim, let me follow my heart. I'm in love, let me follow my heart. Don't follow your heart because it will lead you astray. Don't follow him, sister, because he will lead you astray, especially when you don't know Jesus. Brother, don't follow her because she will get you. Especially if she's not following the Lord. Not only are we to seek it, but we are to proclaim it. We're proclaiming the fullness in which we desire God to come because we know what he will add to us. And this coming is Lord come quickly, not just to take us away from this earth or take our worries away from a moment, but this Revelation 21 perspective in which he is saying he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away he's come to make all things new he will come to make all things new and so what has he done away with every single thing that has frustrated you that has worried you that is causing you to be afflicted that is causing your mind to be distracted right now at this particular moment and this it, I can't help but to think about my Chinese brothers and sisters who are all worried but when I read that letter from the one Chinese pastor that was detained he was angry he was frustrated but he had, a, he had a laser view of the only person that can deliver him out of the trouble that he is in. And so even though they have a great deal of worry, there's a great deal of rest. And this, brothers and sisters, is our hope. Because why does Jesus say, don't worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow will worry about itself? Because he doesn't want you to compound worry trying to make sure that you do everything tomorrow and the, the day after and the other day after on the same day so it's not that oh I, I wake up in the morning and I seek first the kingdom just one day no you need to wake up tomorrow morning Monday morning let me seek his kingdom Tuesday morning let me seek his kingdom Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday Monday Tuesday all the days of the week you need to make sure that you are adding to what God has given you and promised you why because we can learn from our infants what I did learn when I pulled my son out of the out of the hospital and I thought he was gonna die as soon as he breathed in some air was the fact that he didn't have to worry about a thing <laughs> I said there's so much wisdom in infancy because the level of dependency and knowing that they've been valued in life causes them to have this level of whoever this person is I'm trusting you I think I heard your voice 
never asked about, are the lights turned on, daddy? Did you pay the mortgage? Did you make sure you play Netflix and, 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 and Hulu and them? Did you make sure that the lights were on? Oh, do we have enough gas in the car? He is not worried about a single thing. Why is that? Because he trusts in those that father him and mother him. And can I tell you that God is fathering you, nurturing you in a special way that will help you to see that he cares so deeply about you that he will not let anything overcome you. This morning, I want to invite all of our, um, those that are deacons, community group leaders, elders, to come to the front, just a few of y'all, because there are some things that are wearing on a few of y'all this morning. And I know you, you may not want to walk down this aisle and do that whole walk deal, but let, let, me, let, me, let me say something. Walking down here is better than walking out of here with that stuff on you. And just having somebody lay hands on you and pray for you. Because this season of your life, you may not think that God is going to provide for you or that he's going to clothe you. But can I guarantee you something? He's never turned back on his promises. So I'd love to invite y'all up there this morning to pray, have a season of prayer, and to lay whatever you have that is burdening your heart before the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much because you're a God that has called us to trust in you in a way that, that is such a faith journey that sometimes we, saying, we just want to have little faith. But give us big faith, Jesus. Help us to trust in you in a special way. Help us, Lord, to come down here this morning and lay whatever burdens that are causing us to worry on this altar before our brothers and sisters, knowing that you're one who will answer them. For it is in Jesus' name we pray to you, Prince of Peace. All God's people said, let us continue to worship God. By-